you are very welcome along to this week's RT Rugby Podcast. Neil Tracy here with you as usual as attention now turns to this Saturday's first test of the season for Ireland against South Africa at the Aviva Stadium. We're going to have Stephen Ferris and Fiona Coughlin joining us throughout the show. And a little bit later on as well, we're also going to speak to Jared Wright, who's a content creator centering around South African rugby to get the uh, the Springbok perception of Ireland ahead of this weekend's game at the Aviva Stadium. South Africa named their team yesterday. They have 10 World Cup winners in the starting lineup. Damien Willems is at out half. Cheslin Colby is at full back, interestingly enough. Well, Jesse Creel is in the centre. Uh, the big calls there. Creel replacing the injured Luke Canio. Um, Ireland, Ireland will name their team tomorrow. We will go through that with Stephen and Fiona. That's coming next. But a reminder as well, get in touch with us here on the RT Rugby Podcast because we want to put some questions from you to our guests over the next few weeks. If you have any questions you want to send on to us, get in touch using the hashtag RT Rugby or you can tweet us at RT Rugby or even just send me a tweet directly at Neil underscore Tracy. So uh, get those messages into us because we will be back every Wednesday throughout the Autumn Nation series. Coming up next, though, we'll be talking to Fiona Coughlin. But first, Stephen Ferris. So Canterbury, the official kit partner to Irish Rugby, has revealed the new Ireland Rugby Heritage jersey inspired by 2003's classic strip. The Heritage jersey is available now via Intersport Elveries in-store or online and on Canterbury.com. Former Ireland internationals Stephen Ferris and Fiona Coughlin, who we will be speaking to in a little bit, a little few minutes as well. We're on hand to launch the new Heritage jersey in Dublin today. I have Stephen Ferris here in front of me now. Stephen, how are you this morning? Thanks a million for joining us. Oh, no problem at all. Um, good to be down in Dublin, albeit the weather is absolutely lashing down with rain. So, um, yeah, thankfully I'm not outside of my Heritage jersey. Just yeah, and, and about 10 minutes ago, the thought just did cross my mind. Uh, I had a quick glance at what the weather forecast is going to be like for Saturday for the match. Thankfully, it's not going to be too bad. Good. I think Saturday morning looks like it could be rough enough out there, but um, the worst of the showers look like they might have passed by the time uh, they kick off just after five o'clock. So thankfully, we have that. Uh, thankfully, we have that. But just to get straight down to it, Stephen, on the, the match this Saturday itself, Everything, just everything at the moment is through that World Cup prism, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Everybody is just, I think as an Irish fan, we, we probably want the World Cup to start tomorrow, you know, and, and instead of, you know, just under a year's time. And there's a lot of rugby to be played. And we all know how quickly things can turn on its head. Like if Ireland get beaten by 15 points at the weekend, all of a sudden there's absolutely no chance that we're getting out of a Rugby World Cup um, group stage or winning a Rugby World Cup um, quarterfinal, where if Ireland, you know, win by one point or play particularly well and, you know, get the result, all of a sudden we're going to be favourites for a Rugby World Cup. And, like, as much as we can talk about Fiji and we can talk about Australia, the only game that matters from an Irish perspective is this Saturday, 5 o'clock or 5.15, uh, 5.30, Neil. Just after five, I can't. I can't remember. I can't remember. There's so many bloody games on. Um, <laughs> the only one that matters is the only one that matters is South Africa versus Ireland at the Viva Stadium. Yeah, and, and it, it I, does I feel that way, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does. Like that's all anybody's ever talking about at the minute. You know, I got the train down, and people are stopping me, going, "Are oh, you coming down to the match at the weekend? Oh, it's going to be. You know, these South African boys are massive. They're so big, strong, physical. They're going to run over us. They're going to do this. You know, your man Peter Steph, the toy. He's back. He's six foot five. You know, and I'm like going, "Geez, I can't wait for this." And but it's funny. Like I think there's the um. Obviously, the World Cup plays a part because we have them in the pool as well. But does the fact that Ireland just haven't played South Africa in five years weigh into it as well? And even when they did play them five years ago, it was it was one of the worst South African performances across Test Rugby in, in many a year. So it's actually, it feels like a long time since Ireland and South Africa, both pretty much close to full strength, have kind of gone head to head. Yeah, and I think that's what, you know, everybody's looking forward to the most is to pretty much fully strength, full bore teams going to go toe-to-toe um, on Saturday. And like South Africa, since Ireland have, have played them, they've beaten the Lions, have won a Rugby World Cup. And, you know, like they are, <laughs> they are the best team in the world because at the minute they are the champions of the Rugby World Cup 
And if I was playing for Ireland, you want to test yourself against the the World Cup winners. And they're the, the, the team that hold that trophy at the minute. And and if Ireland can get a result at the weekend, then going forward into a rugby world cup, they're you know that leads you know shows a seed of doubt into the South African minds if they, if they do meet somewhere in the tournament. Um and yeah, it's 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 just a mouth-watering clash that um you know we're all looking forward to. It's number one in the world rankings against number three in the world rankings, but in my opinion, it's the top two teams that are going to face off on Saturday. If I could bring you back to, to 2010. When when you played South Africa back then at the at the Aviv and it's similar circumstances. Oh, no, you're not allowed to. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just, but it's just you know just one year out from from a World Cup, and I'm curious back then, having been on we'll say the various press conferences over the last years. So the World Cup is all we're talking about when we're asking Andy Farrell questions and the players and everything is just kind of framed that way. Was there the same? Was there the same focus from outside the squad on? Okay, we're twelve months out from a World Cup at this point in time. If you were going back as far as twenty ten, or was it very much focused on it's South Africa this weekend, or whoever it was that you were playing on a given week? Yeah, like uh, as a player, you were just fighting to keep your hold of your jersey week in week out. Um, probably the management um, crew, they you know were, were were putting things in place for you know potential opponents um, going through you know obviously logging all the uh, all the games and going through. You know, video analysis of the, the, the teams you're going to meet in your group, and uh, and uh, as the season went on. But as a player, absolutely not. As a player, you were just fully focused on trying to retain your place. Yes, we know there was the likes of Brian O'Driscoll, Paul O'Connell, Rory Best, you know, Tommy Bow, you know, lads that were cemented into the team. And and you know, if you ask them the question, then they might have a different answer. But for me, it was just about focusing on. Um, on, on trying to play for Ireland every week, you know, or every chance it was given. And, you know, I, I, I can remember looking back, I, I was injured a bit leading up to that Rugby World Cup. I hurt my knee playing for Ulster against uh, Irony or, or before they were disbanded. And when we kind of get into camp for like the mini pre-season before the Rugby World Cup, that's when the focus was just zoned in. Like it was just so intense you know, the training, every pound of weight that you lifted in the weights room mattered, like, you know, it did. It, you know, we were just ferociously competitive. I remember training with Paul O'Connell doing shoulder weights, you know, every, and we just kept pushing each other and pushing each other. And as the weeks went on, the dumbbells got heavier and heavier and the stronger we got. And, you know, mentally we got you know, supercharged up. Um, and, you know, it was Phil Morrow, who was the S&C coach back then, and, and like we were in very, very good shape leading into that 2011 Rugby World Cup. And um, that's when the focus started, Neil, was when we uh, we all get into camp and, and, you know, we didn't have Ulster games to worry about or Munster games to worry about or, you know, summer tours were over and we could ever, everybody could just buy into what we were trying to achieve. On the the team selection for, for this week, so it'll be tomorrow when we find out what the, what the starting lineup is. It's funny because pretty much every Ireland game for the last year, there's always calls to experiment in certain areas. But the fact that it's South Africa in the World Cup and Ireland have played South Africa in five years, if you were to take what most people would consider to be the first choice Irish team, there's as many as nine or 10 of those players who have never actually even played South Africa before in their lives. So the idea of experimentation just isn't even on the table for, for this weekend's game, isn't it? It's pretty much full team out to try to see how you match up for a game in 12 months' time. Yeah, like, you're going to play your full full strength. Like, I'm, I can't see Andy Farrell veering away from that. Um, we all know there's a couple of guys who haven't had much game time. Um, Tag Farrell and Gibson Park, just to name a couple. And, you know, you're going to have to have people on the bench that's, you know, you're going to call upon that can, you know, do a similar job. And, uh, rely on a wee bit more experience. So I think the starting 15 will will pick itself on, on, on who's fit for Andy Farrell. And then the bench might throw up maybe one or two curveballs um, due to the players that uh, who are in the starting 15 who haven't had much game time. And, and one of those curveballs might be Craig Casey. You know, it might be Craig Casey to get on ahead of Connor Murray, somebody who plays with exactly the same tempo. Or he could go back to the experience and, you know, box kick it and hopefully Ireland are five, six points up when, you know, Gibson Park comes off the pitch if he starts, of course. 
And somebody like Conor Murray is very good at, you know, closing out a game. Um, but, you know, thank God I'm not the Irish coach and having to make these decisions because they're going to be vitally important to how this game pans out. And you look at the South African bench, it's strong. Yes, of course, they've got lots of muscle, lots of beef, lots of huge men up front um, that are going to try and run over Ireland at every given opportunity. And, you know, Ireland are going to have to meet that. And you know, the boys that are coming off the bench are going to have to make an impact as well. So it's, uh, as Ron Rogara said, you know, just before his La Rochelle victory in, in, in the European Champions Cup, it's a 23-man game uh, and, and Ireland are going to need all those 23 lads on Saturday. Yeah, and I think the big question is how well equipped are Ireland to to deal with the South African players who, as you said, are going to be trying to run over them for 80 minutes? Yeah, like they're, they're so direct. Like, so in training, do you just run up and absolutely smash them and put every ounce of your body weight into them and, and see how you get on? You've got to be smarter than that. You know, when you're making a tackle, it's about double teaming certain players. It's about tagging the ball, recognizing who offloads the ball more, what arm they carry the ball in. You know, you've guys like Jasper Weiser who, who, who can, you know, dual carry, fend with both hands. You know, so it's really important that you tag him and, uh, and tighten him up. We know that the likes of Johnny Sexton likes to tackle very high, likes to choke tackle. Is that a good option against South Africa? Generally, over the last few years, it's not because of so much weight and guys coming in behind just to blow over breakdowns and, and still generate a very quick ball. And if anything, Ireland could probably get penalised for not rolling away from the breakdown. So it's, it's um, you know, there's going to be a few technical things um, that, that they're going to work on this week to make that physicality side a little bit easier. Um, one of those is definitely going to be around the tackle zone, around the tackle area, um, and being very accurate around the breakdown. Um Ireland are very always generally very very good at that when they're when they are in attack, but it's in defence that they're going to be challenged so much more this weekend when they're having to defend time and time again with picking jams coming around the corner, Malcolm Marks steamrolling onto the ball, and then after fifty minutes, Embanambi comes on and does exactly the same thing. You know that's that's where the big challenges lie on Saturday. Final couple of questions I have for you, and one of them is pretty much on what you were talking about their breakdown and the tackle area and the importance of that this Saturday with that in mind what is what's a starting back row for you that you're hoping to see is it is it the O'Mahony Doris and Van der Fleer combination we saw in New Zealand does Jack Conan come back into things is there someone else on the outside that that, that gets a nod in there I think like Jack Conan starting for the Lions against South Africa um, <clears throat> at number eight and he, you know, he's got a taste and a feel for what they're going to bring. Um, for me, Ireland's strongest back row is, is Jack Conan, Van der Fleer and Doris. Um, but then it's, when you come to set piece, you know, we know how good Pete is in the set piece. And like on form, Pete hasn't played particularly well this year for Munster. He's, you know, a couple of injuries as well. Um, you know, he's seen... I'm not sure where he came down on his neck against Connett. Sorry, he came down on his neck. He seemed to be struggling a bit. Um, but then every time we kind of not write him off, but maybe question question his, you know, should he be selected ahead of the other lads? He he, he does it with, you know, <laughs> I don't know. He just shuts everybody up, doesn't he? Yeah, is, is the key that we need to just be kind of insulting his game on a weekly basis? Because yeah. that, that is how you will get the best out of him. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, uh, he's a quality player. We know he's a quality player. The tempo of this game, the pace of this game, I don't believe is going to be off the charts because of the way South Africa play. But then you got a match of physicality. Does Pete do that? Well, he showed against New Zealand that he can do it. He showed in the past that he can do it. And, and why not start him against, you know, this big South African pack to see how he goes against the Eclipse and Peter Steph to toy and, and co and, and, and let him loose and see how he goes. He is a vital component to Ireland's line out, both in attack and defence. Um, and I think, I think personally, I think he might start. I think he might start and Jack Cohn will come off the bench and make an impact. And Keelan Doris is, you know, I, I think is him and Josh van der Fleer, two of the first names on the team sheet. And just final question then for you, Stephen, whether it's this weekend against South Africa or at some point in November, the next time Conor Murray lines out for Ireland, that's going to be cap number 100 for him. You were involved in the squad when he 
kind of bolted his way through into the the 2011 World Cup squad. I might just bring you back to to that time back then, and if you could tell me a little bit about the the player you saw coming through, and would you have thought this guy has the potential to be a to be a Test Centurion someday? Like we all talk about, you know, how Conor Murray's game is. Uh, you know, he, he's not the same player he was back in 2011, 12, 13. I think he sort of is the same player, but the game has changed. Um, and yes, he used to make a couple of busts and challenge around the breakdown a little bit more. But the one thing that he has in his locker is a, an unbelievable kicking game. He's good in defence. He's rock solid. He's never going to let you down. And you know, I think in all the test matches that he's played, of course, he hasn't played every match to you know the the standards standards that he sets on a weekly basis. But like he he's been a quality operator for Ireland uh, and somebody who you know have a lot of admiration for because it's bloody tough when you're being questioned week in and week out. And you know he's certainly been questioned a lot uh, over the last, particularly the last couple of years. So congratulations to him. Him if he gets on this weekend or if it's next weekend, whenever it is, he's uh, been a tremendous servant to Irish rugby. And you know, I, I enjoyed some really good times with him back when, when I played. And uh, unfortunately, we don't catch up anywhere near uh, enough these days. And he, he probably doesn't like me either because I work in the media. <laughs> it's probably a bit like the Gary Neville, Cristiano Ronaldo thing. Like, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, he, he, he's a good player um, and he's going to be a a key player for Ireland getting into this Rugby World Cup, I'm sure, because he's going to probably get a bit of game time o- over the next year. So what you're saying is you're getting snubbed on a weekly basis on the... Correct, the- Neil. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Stephen Ferris, thanks a million for joining us on the RT Rugby Podcast. Enjoy the match this week and we'll be chatting to Fiona Coughlin next. Now, delighted to be joined by Fiona Coughlin uh, following Stephen Ferris. Fiona, thanks a million for joining us on the RT Rugby Podcast. Cheers, delighted to be here. Um, we'll touch on the Ireland-South Africa game in a bit, but first, obviously, there was some breaking news this morning um, following on from David Nusifora's comments last week about the, the update with the Irish contract situation and the women's team. We have had confirmation of names that have signed. Uh, yesterday was officially day one of, of professional women's women's 15-a-side rugby in Ireland, uh, as the RFU said. So, uh there's 10 new contracts essentially for, for women's 15 players. They've uh, been signed with Dorothy Wall, Linda Jugang, who's coming back from France, Enya Breen, Natasha Bean, Dan O'Brien, Maeve, De- uh, Maeve Dealey, Leah Tarpey, Catherine uh, Dane, Maeve O'Gullery, and Kayla Waldron. The obvious names that aren't mentioned in that is Captain Nicola Friday, Sam Monahan, and Neve Jones, all three of whom are, are based over in the the premier 15s in england and i suppose fiona that's the the main point to 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 jump off on as momentous a day as it probably is for ireland there there is probably a a feeling of a mixed a missed opportunity and a bit of frustration that we don't have the irish captain coming back to to take up one of these spots look it's a tough one i suppose when the recommendations were made back in february about the us needing to take professional contracts. I certainly didn't see it happening this year. I thought it'd be a year until it actually came to fruition. And you have to commend the RFU, I suppose, for acting so quickly on it. Now, in saying that, not quick enough that the girls in England hadn't already signed their contracts over there. And I think that's the thing, their contract bent to their clubs over there. And um, they're not on huge money over there. So it's not a financial thing that they're staying over there because the money is big. I think maximum contracts are about 10 grand. So um, it would be obviously nicer for them to come back financially. Um, it, is, it is a loss because when you look at that list of 10 players, we only have one front five player in Linda Jungang. Um, so there's obviously going to be implications going forward with regards to training, with regards to set piece. They're not going to have as much time together, still going into the next competition. But I always thought there was going to be teething problems at the start. But any time you make change, you do something new, there's going to be teething problems. So I think over the next year, hopefully when contracts come up for clubs in England, that the girls might be more enticed to come back to Ireland on these central contracts and have a bit more security than it been in a club over there when you don't know the way things are going. But um, the more important thing for me is, how the players are then used when it comes to Six Nations. Um, like I thought last year was an absolute disaster with Sevens players playing for the first three games and then going off to competition. Like I just don't think that can happen. Whoever's there has to be there for the five games because next year, year Six Nations is absolutely vital for uh, qualification for the WXB. So I think that's really, really important. And I think the programme 
will certainly evolve over the next couple of years with regards to players taking up contracts and probably the financial reward for doing it as well. So I, I think we will see that evolve. You, you mentioned the WXV and I think earlier on you were saying you, you, you probably didn't think the contracts would be coming out as soon as they did. Do those two things potentially kind of ally together where, you know, the importance of the WXV next uh, next year probably meant that they, they needed to start getting things in order quite early to, to make sure that they had that cohesion? Yeah, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about catching up with the likes of England and France, but every other nation had went professional prior to us as well. So it's now keeping on track with the likes of England, Italy, Scotland and Wales, like, you know, who were currently just coming back from a World Cup that we weren't at. So it's keeping a pace with the next rest of the best as well. Um, so I think that's hugely important. And the WXV is going to be used for qualification for the next World Cup. And I think it's fundamental that Ireland are there for the continued growth of the game and for the visibility of the game that we have to be at the next World Cup in England. Yeah, I think everyone would agree with you on that. The, the wider plans, the the Celtic competition that David Nusifor was talking about last week, the, the role of the All-Ireland League, um, how how did you feel when you when you saw those things mentioned? What do you what do you see the the role of them down the line? See, I I haven't really seen the clear strategy of what direction they're going to go. Like for years, I bemoaned the interprovincials, and I didn't actually see the point in them from a development point of view because they were just so ad hoc. Every year, you play your three games, and then there was no forward planning with them or sustainability with them. So it'll be interesting to see what purpose they take in the next couple of years or indeed if they're going to go with the AIL as a feeder into the national structure the Celtic League is an interesting one because obviously it takes into account Scotland and Wales as well where a lot of their players were playing in the Premiership as well so it'll be interesting to see whether they take their players out of the Premiership or what format's going to take and where the team is going to come from is it going to come from these 10 players plus a few more from that are Shown that show up well in the AL and the Interpros. So I, I think there's still a lot of question marks over that and the strategy that they're taking with regards to the pathway. And for me, that was always the main thing. It was the pathway and how we develop players from for the whole way up. And it's a very clear and sustainable thing. And that's why Jilly McDarby's role is huge in, in what she do, does and the decisions that they make. And um, I just think there's huge potential growth uh, in the country. And I think we can capitalize on the right areas. I. I think going forward, we can we can get back to be up there at the top of the game. Yeah, and I, I just the, the last point on it, I suppose, is there are plenty of question marks around it and things that we won't, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how things pan out and we'll have to, to wait and question them then. But it's the important thing that this is happening, whether or not, it, you know, the, even if, if it's a bit later than we were all hoping for, but the important thing is it is happening. And look, I think it's happening. I think there'll be for, further bumps along the way. I, I just think it's going to, there's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be really positive things that happen and there's going to be mistakes that happen. And those mistakes are fine once they're reacted on quickly or maybe even preempted that we get to a point that, they, that we can solve them quicker. Um, but look, I, I think it's learning for everyone. My big thing was that they introduce something that is sustainable. So with these contracts that they're sustainable, that they're going to be for a long-term time and hopefully the women's game becomes more of a product where we're selling seats in stadium where we're hopefully again broadcast rights commerciality comes into it where it becomes a product of its own and it's self-generating income and then all of the contracts and stuff will flow similar like to the men's game when it went pro back in what, what was that 97 or something like it was very similar feel that not everyone took up contracts that they were offered um look maybe we used to say they could learn from that but again when there's not an unlimited budget involved i, I think that they have to go about it in a different tact uh, on the the Ireland South Africa game this weekend, and you know you're you're there, you're promoting your your Irish heritage jersey for for this weekend with with Canterbury. But but on Ireland South Africa this weekend, I was just chatting to to Stephen there, and we'll be talking to Jared Ryde a little bit a little bit later on in the podcast. But there's just so much going into this that the fact that it's a it's a pool game in the World Cup, we're just twelve months out from it, haven't played each other in five years, and I think as well the has the URC almost added to it that there isn't the same level of, of mystery around each side that we probably know the players and have seen them a lot more as well. Is, is all of that just kind of combining as ingredients into one big pot for a great game this weekend? Yeah, it certainly adds to it. Like, I'm so excited for, it. Um, you know, obviously world champions coming here. I don't think they were hugely impressive in the rugby championship. Um, I still think there's questions. They have their own questions about who their out half is. But Jesus Christ, when you look at that pack and, and the bench to come on, and then you add the likes of Colby to the mix, like, that's just it. 
are in every sense the physicality of it and also the speed and the poise of, of their back three in particular and um yeah like it's certainly i think ireland are going to be really focused on winning this game and seeing can they it's been an ongoing problem about the physicality side of things matching up against the likes of france we England took us to town a little bit in the scrum um, in the Six Nations, whether we can match that physicality of what South Africa going to bring. And that's going to be a real barometer of where Ireland are. If they can, I'm not saying beat South Africa up, but if they can play with tempo and match them and win quick ball, that they're able to play their game plan. Um, you know, I think Ireland are certainly the better ballers and tactically a better team uh, with Johnny Sexton at the helm. You know, I, I just think it's going to be some belter of a game. How well equipped are Ireland to deal with that? I suppose that is the big question, the, the physicality, the scrum and line-out and set-piece, where, as you said, we've seen it in the last year or so that particularly Andrew Porter, since he switched over to, to switch back to loose, said he's probably been targeted a lot by a lot of forward packs like England and France. And even in the first test against New Zealand, we saw it, and we saw it throughout last season as well in bigger games for Leinster when they came up against the, the bigger, more powerful French pack. So, that is ultimately the question. How well equipped are Ireland to deal with what South Africa will be throwing them from a forwards point of view? Yeah, and, and like no doubt it's been something they've worked on. Like, you know, they know they're not going to have the size of men, but like looking at different things, angles in the scrum and um, connections in the scrum. And I'm sure no doubt that they've spent an awful lot of time on their set piece because that's really important on their launch play of, of where they go. And then with regards to the breakdown, I just thought they were really clinical in the breakdown in the last couple of test matches that they got the quick ball and whether they can again they're going to be looking to try and change the angles that they're going at that they don't that they don't allow South Africa those dominant front up hits that they're not that they're getting gain line and cleaning out quicker that that tempo was there and it'll be I'm really interested to see Ireland's squad selection whether we have Gibson Park and we have Keenan there because I think that could alter the way that Ireland are going to play because we kind of need them to to play the Ireland way. And if we can get even parity um, at set piece and at breakdown, I think Ireland are a better rugby team. I think they're more tactical. I think they're more skillful and they're definitely fitter. On the, around this time, kind of the year out from a World Cup and stuff, we're often accused of being too focused on the short term and the one-off wins and not, not planning ahead for the future. But when I think it's about nine or 10 of the, the current Ireland squad haven't, you know, of what will likely be a starting lineup, I should say, haven't played South Africa before. They're going to have to play them in a World Cup pool game. The result actually is quite important this weekend, isn't it? Like just to prove to those players that who haven't played South Africa before that, okay, we are capable of beating them. And we also are capable of beating a team of that style because as I think Andy Farrell of Johnny Sexton said, the closest they've come up to that has been something like France where they have struggled in recent years. I think like obviously the win would be great but I think the manner of the result if, if they do lose it's it's the manner in which they lose like if they're absolutely steamrolled and um, that will be a crushing blow to the where they where they've at how they've developed their game and it's kind of now where do we go to because they're going to have to totally relook at it if they lose and they're competitive and you know it's a bounce of ball or it's a referee decision which ultimately could be I don't think that's as bad as if they're absolutely steamrolled so yeah look the result is always important but I think it's the manner of performance and um, where they're at in terms of that is way more important going forward and then like I, I know obviously Johnny and stuff will be starting this week, but I think it's so important then for the further two games that we see who's next in line because um, I think we just we haven't seen, we don't know who the next best 10 is. And that's going to yeah. be an ongoing dialogue for the next bloody year. And beyond, and beyond. Yeah. I think we're going to be a long way through the next World Cup cycle and we'll still be talking about it. But on that point, like Johnny Sexton spoke of that yesterday, how there were there were 51 players out there training in Abbottstown yesterday and he said he had to stop at one point. I think pretty much 20 of this group aren't going to be going to a World Cup and that's the the depth that Ireland have to build and they've they had the tour matches against the Maori All Blacks during the summer. They had the Emerging Ireland Tour a few weeks back and now they have this game against the, the Ireland A game against a, an All Black selection on Friday night at the RDS. The big question, I suppose, is are, are those games enough to to see what you have coming next down the line or do you need to start feeding these guys into the into the proper test matches? Um, look, I, I think Andy Farrell has done a phenomenal job and the importance that he placed on those midweek games and also on Friday's game and the Emerging Ireland Tour that 
he is looking at those players and he will reward them if they front up. And, you know, I, I think he said the whole squad will be there on Friday night watching and supporting. And I, I think that's huge from a cohesiveness and a squad development point of view. But at some stage, they have to step up and be playing in, in the cauldron with those players inside and outside them that, that they get their decision-making improves at a higher intensity and a higher level. So I think at some stage we will have to see them. And I, I, I don't know when that is. Is it next year's um, pre-World Cup friendlies? Is it some of the games in the Six Nations? But like whoever that 10 is, if it's Frawley, if it's Carberry, that they're playing with Gibson Park inside and whoever outside them, I, I think that's hugely important. Final question is the, the most important one, the toughest one. What's the verdict this Saturday? Um. I think if Ireland are at full strength um, and can get parity, they'll win. But I'm hugely excited. Like, I honestly, I'm so excited. What's full strength thing? Is that, is that Hugo Keane and Gibson Park fully fit? Yeah, obviously we're missing low. It's kind of who takes that as a balacoon in there to fully finish. I know Farrell said before he doesn't he's not he doesn't like his wingers to be tidy, where I think Balacoon is that tidy kind of full full out finisher that probably hasn't featured in a Farrell squad squad. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, I think Gibson Park is really important, that tempo and speed. And Keenan has just been unbelievable at fullback since he's gone in there. Um, and then you keep your players on the pitch for as long as possible, you know, that the likes of sex and the likes of furlong. Um yeah, that scrum battle is going to be tasty, isn't it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Fiona, enjoy the match this Saturday. Thanks a million for joining us on the RT Rugby Podcast. And we'll speak Cheers. to you again soon. Thanks. Now, to find out a little bit more about the South African side of things, I'm delighted to welcome content creator around South African rugby on Twitter, Jared Wright. You can follow him at Jared Wright 17 on Twitter. Jared, thanks a million for uh, for stopping by and chatting to us again. Oh, it's great to see you guys again and uh, yeah, excited for this weekend. It's going to be a great match, I'm sure. Yeah, it's the excitement I think I'm going to, I'm going to start on specifically because I, I think there's a lot to be said for international teams, big test nations only playing each other every five years because the, the gap that these two sides have gone on since they last played each other, it has just absolutely ramped up the level of excitement that we're getting over here in the last couple of days. Now, particularly because of what South Africa have gone and done since where they were at quite a low ebb at the time in 2017 and they've completely turned things around and won a won a World Cup and then followed that up with the with the Lions series as well. But the gap between these two fixtures going back as far as 2017, it really has just kind of ramped up the the intensity and the excitement around it, hasn't it? I, I think so. And um Ireland have also improved a hell of a lot as a team. So I, for South African fans, I think it's it's just as exciting that uh yeah, a, a strong South African team is going over to Dublin to take on a strong Ireland team. And yeah, we, we all know where South Africa were in 2017 as a performance was. And yeah, it's a very different team that's going, very different management going. So I, I, I think it's going to be a lot more competitive. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, obviously, I think as well, you mentioned the management. I'm sure that has that plays into it as well, where the Irish supporters, for example, are just so much more familiar with someone like Razzie and Jack Nienaber and just Felix Jones as well. Like there are, there are a lot of connections, I suppose, really between the two camps. A hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I also found it very interesting that they called up Jason Jenkins. Yeah. I think they tapping into a bit of the Leinster knowledge there as well. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, I, I think they did quite a good job at Munster and set Munster up nicely and it just didn't uh, carry on from there. But you, you can see the quality of the coaching from where South Africa were to where we are now. And yeah, like I said, it's just going to be a very exciting match. Um, I, there's a lot of stories to come out of it. Um, I'm sure the, the post-match conferences and that will be classy as well. Well, yeah, the, the pre-match ones are are giving us plenty to talk about as well like I mean yesterday for example Johnny Sexton was was asked about Ireland's position as world number one in the rankings and uh, he obviously is keen to play it off as South Africa are the best team in the world because they technically are the world champions you know the rankings don't mean it only mean something once every four years the day after the rugby world cup final and I suppose it's it is actually four three years ago to the day since South Africa were, were crowned world champions but to to get around to my point, what would the perception be of Irish rugby down in South Africa? Do they see Ireland as one of 
or potentially the best team in the world? I, th- I think there were, might have been some doubts um, in July we, before Ireland went over to New Zealand. But South African fans are well aware of the challenge that the All Blacks pose, especially at home. And I think the last team to win two games in New Zealand in one year was South Africa in 2009. And that 2009 team is regarded as one of the, the best African teams ever. So I, I think the perception has definitely ramped up a lot more and people, uh, the South Africans respect the Irish team a hell of a lot more since um, since July and beating New Zealand back-to-back and beating them in their own backyard. So, yeah, I, I think um, there, there was also that uh, comment that Rassi made in the Chasing the Sun documentary or where um, he mentioned um, Ireland as softer than... They, softer than uh, Wales. So I, I think that perception is still there a little bit. But overall, I think there's a lot of respect of what Ireland have achieved and the South African fans won't be taking the side lightly at all. Has the, has the URC changed the perception of Irish rugby down in South Africa or just made, just maybe made the, the casual fan a little bit more aware of it? Like I was going to, to mention, for example, I think from the Irish side of things, when when they see the South Africa team now, or even the wider squad, there's probably just a greater familiarity with some of the the wider squad players. Like looking through the team for for this weekend, for example, I think in a different year, maybe five or six years ago, if someone like Kurt Lierenza was on the team sheet, I would say there'd probably be a lot of Irish fans looking at him, going, "Well, I, I haven't seen too much of him because maybe a lot of them weren't watching a lot of Super Rugby," but I think. Certainly from an Irish side of things, I, I think there's maybe a, a much greater um, understanding of, of who the players and what the qualities are of those players in the in the, in the wider squad. I, I think that has uh, impacted it as, as well. I think I've seen a few South African fans speaking about um, who Ireland will probably select. And you have guys, you've used Kirtley Orange as an example there, but... Somebody like Robert Balakuni is also getting a mention with the South African fans. And yeah, he's quite unknown uh, if you compare him to somebody like Jacob Stockdale, who's been in the Ireland squad for a lot longer. So I, I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of fans who are a lot more aware of the players. And yeah, the, the URC has definitely impacted that. Um, I don't think uh, fans quite realised how strong a team like Leinster were until... Um, the Bulls went over there and they they got to see just how strong a team like uh, Leinster is. And yeah, Leinster makes up a good 78% of the, the Ireland starting lineup on most test matches. So I, I, I think the URC has a big, big impact. And yeah, I think this game will be a lot more interesting for fans than maybe the 2017 one will be because of the URC. The What's the perception then of of South Africa in South Africa at the moment? Because I I find it very hard to to get a read on where they asked that at times they were very very good in the rugby championship, and at times they were quite poor, and I think they, they, they a lot you know they they would probably look back in that rugby championship and think they they probably could and and should have won us that they let that game against New Zealand slip the one against Australia as well and but then on the flip side is they they have produced some excellent stuff over the course of the last 12 months as well. They seem to be, are they a little bit inconsistent at the moment? I, I think it, uh, the inconsistency drives the the fans mad. And yeah, as a South African fan myself, I was also drives me mad. But uh, yeah, I, I think Jacques and Rassi have tried to get a very good feel of um, their squad depth and look at how things shape up for the World Cup. And they had to change players over. So, like the the loss to Wales um, didn't go down quite well with it, with the fans, and understandably so. We hadn't lost to Wales before in South Africa um, before that game. So, yeah, overall, I think people are quite positive, and the team selection this weekend um, it would have driven that quite a bit more. It's quite a there's a lot of um, Fan favourites have been chosen. Chesson Colby at fullback has been... Uh, a lot of fans have been calling for that for a very long time. So, overall, I think there's some frustration, but there is still hope. And the fact that we are world champions, I think, is still a 
holding some clout with it, with that kind of um, with 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 the fans, and there's still hope with the fans every single time. And going into a team like against a team like Ireland, there is probably more confidence in the Springboks to get a win than there may have been before the World Cup 2018. So. Let's talk about the team, so because you mentioned Cheslin Colby at, at at full back and why it's it's something the fans have wanted for a while. Why have the fans wanted to see Colby in the fifteen jersey? Because if I was looking at it from an Irish point of view, I would say that Cheslin Colby plays on the wing, and and almost every time he plays on the wing, he plays pretty good. So why why are we going why are we going messing around with that formula? I I, I think that's um. Well, a lot of the fans, they love to see Colby in space. And at fullback, he will get quite a bit of space with that. And, um, yeah, uh, he played fullback at the Stormers. He played it a bit at Toulouse. And the fans just want um, an exciting brand of rugby from from the Springboks. And in in doing that, we've got guys like uh, Damien Willemse starting at Flahoff. And we've got a very exciting back three. And we we want to... always had the All Blacks as our big rivals and the All Blacks have always played an attractive brand of rugby and fans have, have wanted that. So, And I, I, I think that's where, where it stems from. And I think it's quite exciting that we get to see Kurt Lee Orenser and Ches and Colby in the same back three with Makazola um, Pimpi. I think for the wider game in general, it's it's quite nice to see two players. You know, they're, they're Arenza and Colby, they're both they're both short, they're relying on, on speed rather than just like pure power and physicality. So I think probably for the game in general, it's actually good to see more of those players playing test rugby. But on the again on the team, and it was something you said to me just before we started, that you you said that this felt like a team that was very much Jack Nienaber's team rather than a Razzie Erasmus team. And it's probably the the, the most Nienaber kind of a team that, that that he's picked so far in his time. I, I really do believe that. Um, I think Ninova wants to develop the Springbok attack. And I've been saying it for, uh, before the Lions tour. I saw um, hints of it against uh, Georgia. And then the, against the Lions, they sort of tracked back and went very conservative. And then in the rugby championships in the November that followed, it almost seemed like he was trying a few things and it just wasn't coming off. And I, th- I think um, all defensive coaches are attacking coaches at the same time because you're always trying to figure out what the opposition's attack is going to do. So you come up with plans to fight that and defend that. And you sort of learn things and want to implement those things once you are in charge. So if you look at uh, Ireland, they've gone very attacking under Andy Farrell and people are concerned that that wouldn't be the case. So I, I think a guy like Damien Willemse, who is a very attacking-minded, he's always looking to beat a defender or put another guy into space, is just the kind of fly-off um, that Nienaba wants. And then when you look at the bench that he's selected, he's gone and selected two um, open-side blankers, if you want to call it that, or fetches, to staff all the island's um, attack and their multi-phase attack. And... Yeah, I, I think that's another very defensive uh, defense coach move to to battle that. So, yeah, when you look at that compared to Rassi's team that in the World Cup final, he had two second rowers on his bench um, to continue that power game and the physicality. And we had Andre Pollard, who's more of a, a kicking team and more of a ball carrying team. And Vilemsa, do you see Vilemsa as? potentially the long-term number 10 option with South Africa or is he, is he still at the moment just just filling that hole and maybe he's better suited to, to other positions around the pitch? I, I think they looked at him at uh, going full-time at full-back for the Springboks and um, I, but I think they've sort of fallen into the, the idea that he could be a long-term option for, this, uh, for the Springboks and there are options at full-back and we have... Um, New player Sasha Kamo Zulu in the in the squad as well, and I think he will get an opportunity somewhere along the line. So we have got options at fullback. So I, I think Willem says he's filling in at the moment, but he's filling in with the idea that this could become his his natural position with the Springboks. And 
I wouldn't be surprised if he started all of our November internationals at Blahov. You mentioned the the options they have at at fullback. You mentioned the options back row wise as well. Because, um, can you explain to me, uh, why is Evan Roos not getting more of a look in when it comes to to test selection in the last two months? Is it just that he's too much of an out and out number eight and doesn't necessarily have the versatility that you mentioned that Nienaber seems to want on 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 his replacements bench? Where it you know it it seems. You know, for from the outside looking in, it seems like a bit strange that someone like Dion Fury, for example, who is you know he's pretty much he's down towards the tail end of his career, is is there on the bench a year out from a World Cup when you have someone, a young, young guy who basically swept every single award in the URC last season and looked electric every time he got the ball in Evan Roos. Yeah, I, I think Roos is quite a raw talent at the moment, um, and. When I say raw, he, he seems to run around the pitch and do quite a lot of work. And I, I don't think he quite fits the, the Springbok setup just yet. And yeah, it, it sounds harsh to say when you look at his form and see the way he's playing. But I, maybe they want... Um, if, if, if Actually, if you look at somebody like Jasper Visser, you can't really say at the moment that Jasper Visser deserves to be dropped from the Springbok squad. Um, he was a standout during the rugby championship. He was a standout against Wales. And then we had Dwayne Vermeulen, who's now been rested for this uh, November. And Dwayne Vermeulen, we saw uh, for Ulster this past weekend uh, how instrumental he can be in a close in a close match. So I, I think that you're right in saying that he's an out-and-out option at number eight, and that does hurt him, that he doesn't have that versatility. And I, I think his time will come, but he has to be—he has to prove it in, uh, at um, in the Springbok trainings that he can be that out-and-out number eight and try get Jasper Visser to move into the replacements or onto the side of the scrum playing blindside. But yeah, I think it's a difficult call at the moment, and they also seem to prefer Ulrich Lowe, who gives them an option uh, in the second row and at blindside and at number eight. So I, I think it's a congested position, um, if, if that give a short answer about it. And I haven't even mentioned Quaker Smith, who also plays number eight for the box, and Dion Free, who's, who's also going to play an eight open side hooker kind of option. Yeah, I mean, that's just it just sums up all the options. Mm. Uh, would you expect Roos, for example, to play next week in the South Africa A game against Munster for, for some of those Munster fans who have who have those golden tickets might be heading along to watch it? Um, I, I think it's a possibility. There's not a lot of um, back rowers in the South Africa A squad. I think they only named two in Pepsi Butelezi and Sikobuze Noche. So I think he he might come in. But uh, the two guys that they did choose in the SAA squad are also number eights. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a bit tight. But I, I think he might play that or he will play against Italy for the South African squad. Yeah, he's kind of stuck between stations at the moment. The last, uh, the last point I want to make on the specific team selections: Jesse Creel at outside centre. It's he doesn't seem to any any time he gets selected. It I'm going off the kind of social media reaction. He doesn't necessarily seem to be the most popular pick when it comes to South African teams. Why is that? Um, I, I I'm not quite. Too sure. I, I think a lot of it stems from Monica um, Mayer's time in charge of the Springboks, um, where South Africa played very conservatively. And then when um, Alistair Cossio was in charge, um, we had that poor run of form, and Creel was the main man at outside centre. So I think a lot of it stems from, from those performances. But uh, the, I think fans are a bit frustrated that he doesn't seem to pass the ball too often. Um, I, I think he is a conservative um, selection in the sense that he won't make too many uh, mistakes with ball in hand, but he might not be trying anything too expansive. But yeah, I I, I, I like that he's in the team. Um, he's a very sharp um, defender in the 13 channel. And obviously, when you're comparing to Lucanio Um, it's, it's not a fair comparison. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, you're comp- comparing Lucanio Am to to anybody essentially. You know, you're yeah. you're lo- you're losing out a lot when it comes to that. But um, Creel, I mean, he has bucket loads of experience. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? It's exactly that. And um, 
when you look at the Springbok uh, selections, or if you look at the URC teams and you try and find a third team, there aren't too many um, other third team options besides Jesse Creel once uh, Lucania Ang gets injured. We have Henku Van Vijk, who's, who's a 20-year-old. You don't really want to throw a 20-year-old out on test debut against Ireland at the Aviva. It, it just, it's too risky that. Um, and, and outside of that, there, there really aren't too many choices. So Damien Dallander could play, play 13 for the box, but uh, yeah, then you're losing, you're moving your best inside centre to outside centre. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's a straightforward call, but it, it's not a popular one. Yeah, and to the last couple of questions I have, I can't believe I've gone this far without actually just talking about the scrum and lineup for South Africa because I, I suppose it's probably the one thing we certainly know a lot about. There aren't too many unanswered questions in that regard, but the way they use the scrum and lineout for penalties and territory and possession and, and working their way up the field, it, it hasn't been the most popular worldwide over the last couple of years. And you mentioned there earlier on at the start that Jack Nienaber seems to be one to kind of expand the attack a little bit more. Has the the tag that South Africa are quote unquote like a, a boring team or a very kind of cautious team. Has that is that something that annoys Springbok fans or, or are they happy to embrace that? Um I, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, um, as long as you're winning, obviously, I'm sure yes. plenty of people are happy to embrace it. <laughs> I, I think it's got a lot to do whether we're winning or not. Uh, I think yeah. more trials are celebrated a lot more when South Africa are beating um, New Zealand like they did at uh, in Bloemfontein. Oh, uh, in Lasbury, sorry. So when we when we beat when we beat in the top teams, everyone's quite happy with our um, our more conservative approach. But yeah, I I. I I, I'm quite proud of it. Um, I enjoy the physical side of former um, forward, so I I love the beauty of it. And uh, I, th- I think adding the extra attack and play with that, like somebody like Damian Williams that can bring, would just make the Springboks a lot more stronger. And yeah, like I said, I, I like seeing the referees arm go out for a scrum penalty or for another penalty from the mall. But uh, we do need to have a plan B when that's not going right. Yeah. Yeah. I think Nick uh, Amashikeli, the Georgian referee, is going to be a busy man this weekend. Uh, Jared, that's where we're going to leave us. Thanks a million for for stopping by and chatting to us. I hope you enjoyed the match this weekend. Uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, it's at JaredWright17 is where you can find uh, the gift dump on a, on a Monday morning or Tuesday morning after a test match, isn't it? Yeah, I'm definitely doing one this week. So, And I did do one for Ireland a few months ago that I'll, I'll reshare. <laughs> Great stuff. Pop that up there this evening. And uh, listen, enjoy the match this weekend. Jared, thanks a million for joining us. And I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll speak to you again later on throughout the URC season. For sure. Thanks, man.